Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is David Pembroke, and welcome to GovComs, a podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. In 2020, Content Group was lucky enough to host the first ever GovComs Festival, where we brought together hundreds of communications experts to share their insights into the future of government communication. Today, as part of the GovComs Festival, I want to feature with you a series that was part of that festival, and it wasn't with people who work in government communication. It was a leadership series because it's my firm belief that if we are, as government communicators, going to have the impact that we need, we've got to learn how to build and sustain high-performing teams. Today, we're going to hear from the head coach of the England rugby union team, Eddie Jones. Now, Eddie is known in the world of rugby of being the world's best coach. Now, listen, I'm biased. I've worked with him for the last 20-odd years, um, but I do know that he has had amazing results in Australia, in Japan, in South Africa, and now with England. He is maybe not an expert in government communication, but what he doesn't know about building and sustaining high performance is really not worth knowing because he will share with us in this podcast a really great insight into how do you build teams? How do you get people together? How do you get them working together? How do you get the best from people every day? So I really enjoyed this interview and I think there is so much to it as we look to government communication to lead much more in its organisation. So with that, I'll get out of the way and I give you Eddie Jones. Hey, Pemby, all right, mate? Yeah, very well. Thanks, mate, and congratulations on the uh, Six Nations victory. Certainly, when you run teams, it's great to achieve goals. Uh, well, I think you're always got to try to have some success along the way, but you're never really uh, successful. That's probably the thing that I'd emphasise the most. You're always just on a route to, to trying to get a little bit better all the time, and if you try to get a little bit better all the time, yeah, you, you get a few uh, wins along the way. But if to be successful or to get a little bit better along the way, and if we just go back to sort of the principles of building, you know, high-performing teams, you've got to have a direction, don't you? You've got to set people off in a direction so as that they actually know where they're headed to. A hundred percent. I think that's the most important thing, uh, that you know where you're going and then you build a story about, how you're going to get there, um, and with that becomes the characters you need, the factors that are going to be important to get to get you where you want to go. So, how hard is it when you you're trying to define that future state? How how difficult do you think that part of the process is in trying to describe to team members just exactly where you want them to go? Well, you know, because I. I have a fairly simple job coaching rugby teams. Usually you only get a job coaching a team when the team's been failing. Um, so there's an immediate goal in front of you of how you're going to be successful. But then building that greater picture to sustain success is the, is, is 
the most difficult part, I, I think. And and how do you go about trying to define that though? What are some of your processes that you go through in trying to understand what that future state looks like? Uh, we'll always look at the current environment, look at what the environment in the future could be, uh, look at the present resources, look at the resources in the future, the mindset of the society or country, uh, how they think. Um, so I always try to work out what's absolutely non-negotiable in that organisation or that country and make sure that we've got those values embedded or, or living in the organisation. And, and, then, and then you've got that gap between where you are and where you want to be and prioritising the areas that are going to uh, shorten the gap as quickly as possible. How, how hard is it to identify those contextual pieces that are important to, to building that story and understanding the people? Are they, are they easy to locate or does it take time to find the right and the most critical elements that go into building the team? Uh, some places are obvious. Um, and I think, you know, as you said, I've been lucky enough to have you working with me that that gives me that wider context sometimes where I'm looking at the smaller context. So being able to, to bring the small and the wider context together I think is also important. Um, but sometimes it's really obvious. Like with, when I coached Japan, Japan had been underperforming, unsuccessful team that was happy with their current state. And we painted this picture that if this – if this Japan team wasn't successful, rugby could be a dead sport in, in Japan. Um, so we built a lot of emotions through that, created a Japan way, um, and and the players really gave everything they, they could and even more than they ever thought they could. Um, and we got the results accordingly. Some some other countries is a bit hard. England, for instance, is, is much more complex. You know, I've never coached such a diverse group of, of players. We've got players who are literally being brought up in a, a state, um, you know, which would be the Housing Commission in Australia, uh, you know, not two coins to scratch together. And then we've got players who've only lived life at the, at the high end and, and trying to find a common goal for those guys has been, has been more difficult. And I don't think we've actually got it now, but we're moving towards it, which is a good thing. But then how, how do you keep shaping that direction? How is it that you keep sort of finding the, the insights that help you to get better, that help you to build that, that, the clarity around the picture, but also then the connections between the people? Well, I think one, one of the things always as a leader is to su surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Um, so you get a lot of different, different messages. Um, and don't surround yourself with people who are homogeneous. Surround yourself with people who, who have different ideas. So then you're just looking for, for little pockets of information that can help move you along the way. Um, yeah, for instance, I got an email last night from this crazy sports site that works for, has worked for me for a long time from New Zealand, um, just saying, yeah, you've got this and this to work on. Have you looked at this? And just a completely different approach so you're looking for that bits of information everywhere and then the job of the leader is to put that together into a, a coherent message uh, for his team. And that, that habit of gathering insights from many different sources, 
How have you built that habit over time? And, and how do you know who to listen to and who not to listen to? Or is that something that you never get right, that you're always just taking in loads of information and just with time you get more experienced and therefore you can make better decisions? Uh, well, I think, you know, the, I don't know what it is, but the, the being able to be discerning is important. Um, yeah, and, and generally I think in terms of your support staff or your, your people you take advice from, yeah, you can never go past character. I think if they're good characters, generally you'll you'll find that they'll they'll uh, do a good job for you. So I would say that character is the number one thing you're looking for in terms of your support staff. But then, obviously, you being the leader, you you have sufficient um, humility that you you know you don't think you know everything. Like you've had enormous success in your career, but you're still hungry for information, hungry for knowledge. Yeah, look, we had a lovely dinner the other night with Roy Hodgson. He's coached England, Switzerland, Sweden, coached some major clubs in uh, all around Europe. He's currently the manager of Crystal Palace. He's 73 and he's still going, 73. Imagine doing that. And he came to dinner and he said, look, boys, I don't know if I've got too much to tell you. I'm still trying to become a good coach. <laughs> And and that's how I think you've got to be, and you, and you can see that in in all walks of life. I think that that people who are thirsty for knowledge, who want to keep learn, who want to keep learning, who want to keep meeting people who've got more knowledge than them, and then being able to to actually be practical and put that into pra- practice is the key. Because you know today, as you were speaking about, the information around the world is is unbelievable. The, the range and the amount of information. You know, every every day you open up your computer in the morning, you've got a new sports psychology book from from Amazon. Um, you know, there's business books. There's so many different pieces of information that you've got to be able to, to pick out what's useful and what's not, have trusted con- confidence um, and make sure you keep to the plan. So you get the vision right, you get the context right, you get the characters of the people around you who are going to support you, but ultimately you have a team members. So in your case, you have players. Um, if you're in a government communications team and you're a leader, you have staff. How do you get the best out of those people? How do you get them to turn up every day to give their very best in pursuit of the vision that you've set? Uh, well, I think that's changed a lot over the years. Um, you know, before, I think you could run a run a team through your own energy, your own vision and your own enthusiasm. You know, there was that you-follow-me uh, type situation. That's morphed into, say, my situation now. I, I reckon when I first started coaching, 90% of the time I was at the front of the room and now it's probably 10% of the time. And the other 90% I'm I'm guiding, controlling, uh, counselling other people to do it um, because that's the way the generations are changing and and it's a a good way to change, I think. Um, So how do you get them excited about it? Um, Make sure you understand their identity, uh, what they think they want to be, um, how do they want to be perceived. Make sure... They understand you're doing everything you can to be, to make them the best they can be. Make sure they understand you care for them, and then 
and then make them understand that their identity will be improved by being part of a team because the team will give them stuff that nothing else can give them. And and that's that, that's the hard bits. The hard bit is is getting the individual, or is it the hard bit that you've got to you've got to be different for every single person? So there's a complexity in every person, but it has to be an individual task as well. You can't treat anybody. No two people are the same, and therefore you have to invest time in the in each individual. Yeah, well, I think that just that whole process has become a lot more complex. There was a lot more players before because of the generations. Like, you know, I, if my father walked in the room, I'd immediately stand to attention in in a in a figurative way and and uh, be in awe of him. Now we know that's not the case anymore. Um, the way generations have changed, uh, and we know generations are different. So you've got to work harder to get them to fit into that team um, and get them to understand the team is the most important thing because they all want to be the most important person in the world. But that being the case, how do you then deal with them individually to put the team ahead of their own particular interests? Well, you've got to spend time with them, Um, you know, You've got to know them, but you don't have to know the ins and outs of them. You've got to know what makes them operate, what makes them motivate. Like we had a boy on the weekend who was going really well, uh, elevating himself to leadership group, um, been training really real, well, overcame adversity, but is expecting a baby during the weekend. Uh, he struggled to cope with the stress of his, his partner having a baby and playing the game. And we didn't know him well enough to to um, to observe that with him. And as a result, he had a very poor game for us on the weekend. But it was a great learning for us. That you've got to be so diligent in your observation. And you've got to have the staff around you that have has a range of skills to pick up information. Because getting people to perform at their best consistently is is about is about finding out what they need, what they need to have. Um, not what they want, but what they need to have, which is a, a, a big difference. And so in that, um, how do how much time does that take? Does that take a lot of your time? Would you say that's the majority of your time is spent trying to understand what your players need? Uh, I would say it, it takes up the majority of times. Like the tactical side's pretty easy, mate. You know, rugby's an easy game. You got to get the ball from one end of the field and score points. Not that hard. <laughs> uh, but getting players to do it as 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 an orchestra, which is what you see, and I'm sure it's the same with any company or organisation. When everything's going well and everything's moving together, it looks like the world's best orchestra. You know, everything's in synergy. Everyone's moving together. Everyone's thinking the same at that particular point. And that's what you're always trying to achieve. So to, to, to get to that, the leader has to drive it, but he has to have people around him who can support him. So some players, I'll leave the bulk of those conversations to assistant coaches and I'll generally take on the, the harder cases, the ones that are a bit more, you know, in every organisation you'll have a slip reel that you can never pin him down. Yeah, I used to have a, uh, a chairman at, at the school I worked at. He said, always always look out for the smoke and mirrors. And it's so true. Yeah, and they're the difficult ones, but they're the ones who have generally got, got some unique ability about them. Um, 
and and to get those people into tune, then you then you know your team's got a chance of really going well. Because you, in any team, you'll have the eighty percent, the bulk of the people will work pretty hard. Yeah, you know, you've got the ten or fifteen percent at the top that are that are really high performers, and that that bulk of the eighty percent, what you've got to try to do is move that normal curve to a, to a positive slant. And then you've got the bottom ten percent who you've got to just got to make sure they don't cause damage, yeah. And that's that's consistent in any team. And so tell me, how then, or how important is it then to have success and to celebrate success as you're starting sort of to make movement and um, and progress towards your goals? Uh, I think really important, mate, um, because that just reinforces what you're doing is right. Um, and success can take different forms. You know, for us, we can get beaten in the game, um, and we can pick out bits of the game. For instance, the first game of Six Nations, we lost badly uh, to France. But in fact, in terms of the metrics of the game, we probably won 60% of the metrics. But the 40% on that day of those metrics were more important than the 60%. So we did a hell of a lot of things right, but we didn't do the things right that won us the game. So you've got to be able to sell that as success for your team. Otherwise, like like in any any walk of life, if you if you lose, you get disappointment. Disappointment leads to to people getting disillusioned and, and therefore their work ethic and their their commitment to the team drops off. And so to be able to communicate that though, you had to have the transparency of knowing what a good performance looked like. So you had to have the data that then enabled you to shape the story in such a way that while it was a, a loss on the scoreboard, it was in fact a positive in terms of the, the team's performance. How important is it to have that understanding of what it is that you're doing in terms of knowing the benchmarks that you need to be reaching towards? Yeah, I think this, this is probably one of the most intriguing areas of performance now. But there's so much data out there. You've got data on everything and everyone can measure something. Um, and, and you know, people always say you've got to be able to measure it. And you do. You do. So measurement's important. Understanding what are the key metrics. And, and again, you need people who are, who are smarter than you to be able to do that. There's a great story about Moneyball um, where the whole reason they got people out of Harvard University or Stanford University where they were smarter than the guys they had. Um, you know, they were able to see baseball for what it was, not what they thought it was. Um, and, and that's the key thing. So you get those smart people in, but then you've got to be able to have the intuition and, and the instinctiveness of the, the business or the industry to understand how that all fits together because science can tell you so many things as we've seen with this coronavirus they can tell you so many things but they can't tell you about human behavior and 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 so that's where the leader and, and his his team are so important in observing in understanding how you put those metrics into place so in terms of then un, you know overcoming sort of adversity and and setbacks how do you deal with that how do you keep momentum in a team when it's not performing, when it's perhaps missing its mark, when it's not quite right, you might be running a few experiments or you might be taking a few additional risks to try to take yourself to the next level. 
But then how do you deal with that sort of no man's land that you might find yourself in at times where you might have a view as the leader as to where you're going, but you're not quite getting it out of the team because whatever it is that you're trying to get across hasn't quite connected with where they are? I think you've got to look at those those periods as as the best opportunity. That's where you really prove yourself. Yeah, and, and to me, that's a bit the lead, the leader's ego comes in. That's where I want, I want to show that that I can turn this team around with you know doing all the processes we're talk, talking about. But that's the hardest bits. Like I hate these periods now when everyone's telling us we're good. Yeah, you know, we're on the cusp of something great, and we know we're not. Because we're we're one step away from from failure, and and having that understanding keeps you on edge. But I love those periods where where things aren't going quite right, and you've got to try to work out how to get back on the front foot. Um, and it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of commitment, and and a lot of clear thinking. One of the things I've learned, Pendy, uh, which is why I'm down in this lovely spot south of London now, is that as soon as you've had a win or a loss, give yourself some thinking time. Don't don't stay in the race. Get out of the race for a little bit. You know, I've got a, a book here and paper here that I'm going to scribble all day, but free from free from the rat race. And I think that's really important. And that skill of reflection, I think, is being is being lost in in the world to a great degree because people spend so much time on their phones, so they're always in it. They're never away from it. You, you know, you look at players now, so they go away and and. I was looking at one of the young guys in our dressing room and I said to one of our other guys, have a look at this. We were five minutes off the game. He's on his phone. He's looking at Instagram. He's looking to see, you know, what they've got of him. You know, it's a, it, and, and it's, a, it's an important part of our world now, but we need to understand, and particularly as a leader, that you've got to escape that and, and give yourself some time to reflect, plan, think, um, and look where you can go. And so with that, will you think, plan, experiments? Will you now look and think, okay, I'm now going to try, you know, X and Y because I've identified a weakness and therefore I'm not going to bet the house on it, but I'm going to start to implement a few, you know, test and learn experiments that are maybe going to pay off for us a little bit further down the, down the track? Yeah, no, without going into too much detail, We've got two major experiments running at the moment, which you didn't see any of on Saturday, so it's still a hidden secret. Uh, but it will come, will come out in some time. Um, but, yeah, I think that's important too to have, you know, people talk about innovation, but to always have a proportion of your, of your working time uh, aligned or set for projects in the future. So keep people looking ahead um, because you can't be in the day all the time. You have to have people looking ahead for you. And and sometimes that's the leader's job or you might be lucky enough to have a creative department to do that. So in terms of that listening, though, again, it sort of gets back to it, is that you've got to listen to improve, don't you? So a, a key part of your strength is is listening. Yeah, I think so, um, but you can always get better better at that. And I think you 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 look at most people as soon as they get under stress, what goes? They're listening, you know, And it's been proven time and time again. So you've got to work out, particularly when you're having relationships with 
with staff, you'll find one of their biggest problems usually is listening because they feel under pressure um, and they're trying to work out what the next answer is before before you ask the question. So they never get it right. But you've got to find some way to make them feel good about themselves, uh, a bit of edge around, but feel good about themselves, and then they will develop a listening skill. Um, yeah, you know, I always my my assistant coaches always suffer initially, unfortunately, a bit of a listening problem, um, and because they feel under pressure. Because I'm only I only want to have the best. I'm not interested in anything under the best. And sometimes people come in with different standards, and so that that first period of time is important. And I think we all go through a period where our listening drops off. Yeah, you know, and and I reckon listening almost almost runs parallel with success and failure. So you tend to listen more when you fail and you tend to listen less when, you, when you're successful. And, the, and the, the signpost is as soon as you've got some success, work harder on your listening. So listen, a couple more questions before I let you go. Continuous improvement, incremental improvement. You know, they're, you know, coming out and thinking that you're going to make these huge gains, particularly when you're operating at that, at that highest level, you know, often they're very hard to find those, you know, those transformational pieces. But really transformation can come through incremental improvement and continuous improvement and, and keeping people focused. How, how best do you find that you can motivate your people to continuously get better? What are some of the things that you do, you know, to set people in the right direction so that they're always looking for those those small parts that they can add to their work practice that is going to contribute to the greater good but also contribute to their own benefit, as you said, the identity that they have? Oh, I think one of the things is, and I was reading an old business book, I was reading an old business book by Jack Welsh, the General Electric CEO, and one of the things that struck me, he said, you should never have six-monthly, three-monthly yearly reviews that reviews should be done consistently because you should be reviewing your staff uh, consistently to, to get improvement. So looking for those little improvements all the time. What are you doing now? What could you do a little bit better? Uh, how can you look at this in a different way? And they can take the form of a, a sit down over a cup of coffee. They can take the form of a conversation in the corridor. So those formal meetings, I think, you know, obviously they are important for, for a salary aspect, but for, for actually improvement, it's got to be done on a daily basis. And you've got to be, chalk, again, chalking up wins when you've had a win celebrated. You know, you see those places that ring bells. You can do anything you want to do. But make sure you celebrate it and make sure the, the people know that they've improved. Yeah, I just... Uh, a little one, there was a, one of our players is aspiring to be a, a leader and he hasn't got quite the, the gravitas to do it. Um, but I just had a little opportunity on the bus. I just went up to him and sat down to him and said, mate, some really good leadership moments on, on Saturday. Do you remember that? Write them down and bring them back on, on Thursday when we get together. So you can continually be reinforcing that with people and, and those little opportunities are the golden opportunities. You know, there's that great story about Wayne Benton. Someone said to him, the Brisbane Broncos coach, he said, uh, Blake said to him, you don't have too many formal meetings, Wayne. He said, no, I have 7,000 a day. <laughs> and and that's, that's, that's the truth. You know, that's, that's the real nitty-gritty of, of getting improvement. And 
One final question before I let you go. The, I, I, I observed the other day on, on one of the videos that they're doing on the England team at the moment when you were coaching, um, the, the players went through a particular drill and you could see something, but your first uh, tendency was to not so much say what you saw, but it was, what did you see? You were asking the players, you were asking the, the, the people in the drill what they saw, what was good, what wasn't good, what was their reflection on it. And that seemed to me to be the way that you were coaching them, that you were coaching them really to coach themselves and coach each other. Yeah, no, again, I think that's something that's changed. You know, if uh, Joe Roth was uh, here, he probably wouldn't say, I used to coach like that at the Brumbies. But it's been an evolution. I think the more you can get people to coach themselves, the better. And, and that's about, again, trying to get them to think about where they are, where they need to go, continually either prodding them or, or praising them about what they need to do. Um, and, and the younger guys respond better to that because we see with young people today, you know, parents with young kids, they very rarely um, have explicit discipline with them. So it's all done implicitly and that's how they've grown up to be and, and, and therefore in the workplace you've got to use that sort of implicit coaching much more than the explicit coaching. So before I go, and this, this is the last question, but do you find it exhausting or exhilarating? You know, there is so much to be, to be done. Uh, coaching at the highest level, enormous responsibilities. Obviously, you have the additional burden of public expectation and media expectation and organisational expectation, even the expectations of a whole country sometimes when you, when you play. Um, do you find it exhausting or do you find it that it's something that you were born to do? Uh, well, I wake up every morning energetic and exhausted. Um, <laughs> so it's a bit of both. Like, I, you know, I wake up this morning, I can't wait to have, a, have today's work. But am I tired? Yes, I'm always tired. And, and the job is tiring because you, you never get away from it. As much as you do, you, you try to get away from it. Um, but you've got to find ways, again, to to freshen yourself up. Like I just had a 40-minute a aerobic session and a nice steam bath and I feel like, yeah, I'm ready to go. But the the job does weigh you down and, and you've got to try to break that weight every now and then. I'm sure CEOs or, or leaders of, of big company departments find the same, that, that you've got to find that almost as an enjoyment. And some final advice then for people out there who are aspiring to be leaders, aspiring to get their teams to perform a little bit better. What's the, what, what's the, the, the brief to them as to how they can get better? Uh, well, again, I'm still trying to find it out myself, but uh, know, where, know where you want to go. Um, make sure you people know that you're trying to make them better uh, and make sure they know that you care about them. And making it better sometimes can be a bit uncomfortable. It's not always a nice conversation. Um, but they, if they know you're going to be care, caring for them, then they'll, they'll give you a bit more because we're all trying to look for that extra 10% because no one knows what we can do. No one knows how fast people can run, how hard you can tackle or how, how strategically you can think about a problem. Um, no one knows the limit of, of that and always search for that limit. Never be happy with anything less than searching for the limit. So there you go, Eddie Jones, the great 
coach of the current England rugby union team with his advice about how you can build and sustain a high-performing team. So thanks to everyone for listening to this special episode of the GovComs podcast. And thanks again to Eddie for being a part of the inaugural GovComs Festival. The recordings from the GovComs Festival can be found on the website of the GovComs Institute. So please go and have a look at some of the great content that featured in the GovComs Festival because there is so much for us to learn. Now, I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with the next episode of the GovComs podcast. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. 